Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Tsunami Sushi in downtown Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with Christian Maida, editor and publisher of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader, east to New York City, west to Los Angeles. Pick your poison, as the saying goes, out of one swamp and maybe into another. For the Louisiana diaspora, home is hard to quit. Home is where the heart is, after all. And so many transplants become boomerangs, a demographic term of art for people who go away and come home. At least that's the hope if, like Louisiana, you're a net exporter of people and talent. And coming home can be a double-edged sword. It's comforting. But in creative industries, it can mean making do in a smaller market with opportunities harder to come by. On the flip side, you might become the change you want to see in the world. My guest, Kelly Clayton, was the first in 15 generations in her family to leave Louisiana. Kelly is a poet, a playwright, and a workshop facilitator. She left for New York City in 1991 with a suitcase and seven boxes full of books. And she meant it as a one-way ticket, but she did end up returning to Louisiana in 2010. Kelly has continued working as a literary artist in the Lafayette area. She teaches poetry and creative writing and organizes programs for formerly incarcerated people and kids in the Louisiana Juvenile Detention Center. In 2020, she published her poetry collection, Mother of Chaos, Queen of the Nines. Kelly grew up in Baton Rouge, New Orleans, but lives in Lafayette today. Kelly Clayton, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. When my guest, Rachel Netterveld, left home for Los Angeles, she knew she'd eventually come back home. Rachel is a film producer and podcaster and made her name for herself in documentary circles with works like The Tuba Thieves and Footwork. Rachel first worked in the music industry, getting a job with the legendary indie label K Records and opening Lafayette's location of the Tipitina's Music Co-op in 2008. She got into film production shortly thereafter and moved to L.A. in 2014. Um, being a producer is sort of like being the CEO of a film. Rachel says she's responsible largely for the logistics and fundraising, and her films have premiered at South by Southwest, Sundance, Tribeca, and Lafayette's hometown festival, Southern Screen. Rachel returned to Lafayette in 2022 and is also developing a career in podcasting. Rachel Netterveld, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Christian. So, Kelly, as I understand it, your husband is a native New Yorker, but it was his idea to come back to Louisiana. Yes. So I kind of want to mine your own reluctance. Was that a, a professional thing or was it a cultural thing? I mean, what made you feel like, you know what, I'm not going to go back there until your husband says, you know, maybe we should. Part of it was a vanity thing because okay, sure. I thought that I was going to come home and get fat. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Sure. <laughs> in New York City, I mean, we I was there for 20 years. We didn't have a car. Sure. And, you know, you're lugging groceries and laundry and, yeah. you know, everything you do is up flights of stairs. And that was my gym. And yeah. just really the shallowest of shallow reasons. Yeah. I just thought, I'm going to get in a car. I'm going to go to a grocery store. The food is so good. I know I'm going to eat it. And I'm just going to blow up. <laughs> Not artistically. <laughs> well, it seems like you've managed well with the transition. I mean, did, have you found that like what you expected broadly, not just limited to your, to your dietary habits, is, is what you expected to do? Like, is your life more or less as you expected it to be? Or, or, have you, or has Louisiana adapted to you in some ways? Mm. Well, just an aside, I don't have any problem with the size anyone is. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> just to make that pretty clear. Uh, 
this was a personal thing. But for me, Louisiana was a place that I absolutely swore I was never coming back to, ever. Because I think as a younger person, I tended to see things in black and white. You know, you're either right or you're wrong. This is bad or it's good. And uh, coming back here after actually growing up, uh, I was able to hold the gray areas as precious Hmm. that, you know, yes, there are problems, but there are such joys as well. So that that was something that I, I had to go away to learn. Rachel, your path, right? I mean, folks would maybe look at your resume, especially I would imagine in, in the film industry and say like, you've had work at Sundance, at South by Southwest, at Tribeca, right? And say like, that's working, right? Like, so when you come home, I mean, is it a, you know, decision that you're making because of some other factor? I mean, is it because you can keep doing that kind of work? I mean, some folks might say like, you were there and you've, you've, you're doing the thing that you wanted to do. I mean, was, yeah. Would, would they just sort of be wrong about what was going on there? Uh, well, I think the thing I wanted to do was to make a difference and uh, be able to tell stories that I thought were making a difference. And it didn't matter where I was to do that. And sure. um, and it's funny because I, when I really was like, I'm going to move back home, I had just gotten the Sundance Producing Fellowship, which is sort of like the Harvard of indie producing. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it, like, one of the people at Sundance, I just kept talking to her about how really I wanted, she knew I wanted to move back home. That was part of it. Um, And it was through that fellowship that I ended up getting like a free life coach from that. And she, and it was during COVID and she coached me for the entirety of COVID and kind of like helped me to figure out the steps to move back home. Cause she was like, this is what you want to do. You got to figure out how to do it. So I think, um, I think there's a unfortunate thing with the arts and, and other jobs in Lafayette area too, where a lot of people think if you live in Lafayette, then you you don't have um, their credentials or you're not good enough to be, you know, you need to bring someone else in from LA to do something because we don't have the person here or New York or wherever. Mm. Um, and we actually have a lot of amazing artists that are boomerangs like, like we are, who are here and um, and I think the more we recognize that, the, the easier it is for people who are living here to be able to have successful careers outside of outside of Lafayette. But also, you know, COVID was a huge, I mean, like COVID is part of what enabled me to be able to move back is because so many industries became remote at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, being able, you know, for it to be normal to do meetings over Zoom and kind of everything being over Zoom and, um, it, it's, I think, helpful for people to do that as well. And, you know, I know some people who live here who go between L.A. and here. And, um, and you know, there's Claire Cook, who has based on arts. She, she talks about this a lot, where she has an amazing dance pedigree. and But she needs to tell people she when she moved here, she would say she was going between New York and Lafayette because that just sounds better. But really... Um, I think we need to get in a place where we we recognize that, like, no, we're in Lafayette. I mean, Brassbed, Christian Mater, right here to my side. He's in an amazing band, Brassbed, that's had a lot of success. And so we just need to accept that, you know, if you're here and living here, it doesn't mean that you don't have the credentials a lot of other people have. Sure. I mean, Kelly, it seems like you're nodding with a lot of agreement here. I mean, imagine in poetry, pedigree and place are often synonymous, right? Has that been the case for you? Absolutely. And, and... You know, I, I don't know if this was your experience, but the you know the the longer you you're, you stay at home, 
as an artist, um, you have to to uh, keep a certain confidence about yourself so that it doesn't start to feel like, oh, I used to be, I used to be a New Yorker, or I, I used to be relevant in this field, and then the longer you drift back, the, the, then nobody wants to hear, oh yeah, I hung out with so-and-so, you know, back in the day. You find yourself, like, with with the idea that maybe you're fading in that way, and and that's not true. It is absolutely not true. I mean, you are you are correct about just the talent around here is is enormous, and the willingness to just get in there and do stuff. I feel like I would you could hear someone making the case right that sure. I mean, you shouldn't be penalized for being in your hometown, but but in any sort of craft, right? You need to sharpen it somewhere, and, and yes. maybe being in a place like New York or LA or whatever location your industry tends to put on a pedestal, like that there's sort of a steel sharpening steel effect going on there. I mean, do you find that like that experience for you makes it able for you to come back? Do you know what I mean? Like that you go to a place like LA and you're able to sort of work with people who are doing it at that level, whether that's a real thing or a construct, and then you come back and you're able to say like, well, I did it at that level and so I yeah. can do it anywhere. I mean. I think it's both ways. I think it just depends on where you want to live, especially post-COVID. And, you know, there's a lot of, and part of that is around, like, the late teens, 20s, is, especially in the film industry, regionalism started becoming a part of diversity. Um, and so New Orleans Film Festival, um, who's, they're a huge, huge festival nationally, I mean, even internationally. It's, it's amazing programming. What they do there is amazing, and they have a Southern Producers Lab, and that actually feeds into, um, like, helps feed into the Sundance Producing Lab, and, and it kind of is, like, feeding other producers and giving them. So I think there's a lot of more regional support. I mean, documentary field in the Southeast is huge. There's so much different support for filmmakers, mm -hmm. fiction also. Um, and so I think, I think focusing our efforts on uplifting regionalism, and, and one of the things is... You know, I moved back here with an eye of, of who needs, who in Lafayette could use the support that I had mm -hmm. so that they can stay in Lafayette. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people who are interested in those stories. And a lot of people are interested in people telling their stories and not having this parachute journalism, which I know you deal with a lot, Christian, of, of people coming in and telling a story and leaving. It's the people who are here who have the best view on a story and should be telling it, whether it's poetry, whether it's a painting, whether it's film, whether it's podcast. Um, and so just figuring out, I think as industries, we're realizing that we need to be uplifting those people more. And there's ways to bring people. I mean, this is irrelevant, sort of, not really. Ian LaCour just won, uh, went to LA. He's a local barista for Rev and River Ranch. And he just won like champion barista pour or whatever in LA. So like, it's, you know, it's like, we don't, you don't have to, you don't have to live in LA to win that. Yeah, I mean, Kelly, I mean, you're, I, I'm wondering if regionalism plays the same role. I mean, I think poetry, playwright, you know, you think of that world, a sense of place being a very important, not to say it wouldn't be in the film arts, but I mean, has there been a shift in the way people think about that? Where, I think like, there's so. more value in, you know, you don't have to go to the Iowa Writers Workshop or anything anymore. I do, to, I do think so yeah. because um, I, I've been to uh, writers' residencies. Yeah. Uh, I did a Hedgebrook residency and also Vona mm -hmm. uh, uh, and the fact that I am applying 
from Louisiana, from my hometown. It, it does, it, it is diversity because they get many, many more applications from uh, New York and, and larger places where writers do congregate. And when they do get something from from here or from a smaller place, um, it does stand out. Mm -hmm. and, and they are trying to, to integrate that. And I have had a good deal of support from Hedgebrook uh, for the alumna. They are incredible about it. So I didn't feel forgotten when I came home. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think that's perfectly valid. As a general proposition, I mean, is it harder to sell collections of poetry if you're, if you're not, say, around New York where the publishing industry is? The hard part is knowing what opportunities are even available. Because yeah, yeah, sure. sometimes, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of an echo chamber, and, and even though it is available on the internet, you don't even, it wouldn't even occur to you to look there mm -hmm. um, to find it. And also, on the flip side, I have done things here in Lafayette, Louisiana, that I wouldn't have been able to do in New York City because I was one of wildly many, 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 and and I probably wouldn't have gotten the opportunity. I did a, a, a one-person uh, uh, play uh, with my husband uh, at the ACA mm -hmm. where um, uh, it was a conversation between uh, pre-Canaanite God Yahweh and his wife Asherah on the day that his wife says that she's leaving him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and my husband's a lighting designer, so he designed the language of, of Yahweh all, only in light mm. so that the audience had to kind of try to keep up and figure out what was being said from a one-sided conversation. That was experimental. It, it, I was well supported by the ACA, and um, I really don't know that I would have been able to do that in, in New York City. It, so. I'm assuming you, you mean that in terms of the access to the logistics. Yeah. I mean, yeah. being able to yeah. have a facility Absolutely. that could support Absolutely. that vision, right? And yeah. a uh, and an art an art organization that actually supported us, had yeah. meetings with us, uh, yeah. uh, helped us stay on track, like the the whole nine yards. It was really quite amazing. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking to poet Kelly Clayton and film producer Rachel Nettervelt. We'll be right back after this break. Support for Out to Lunch at Katiana comes from Adita Corporate Staffing. Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, Infinite Health Integrative Medicine Center, Michelle Weighing and Measurement, Calibration Services and Measurement Equipment Since 1947, New Orleans Ice Cream, available in select grocery stores, and Rev Realtors. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Nader. I'm talking to poet Kelly Clayton and film producer Rachel Nettervelt. Rachel, you bring up the concept of regionalism as a way of spotlighting creators from those similar regions, but it also brings up a question about the audience, right? Like, if you're producing regional work, is it better thought of as works that we're now producing for that region, right? I mean, like, I think another way of thinking about success is to say, like, yeah, you could be from anywhere and everybody else, whatever that you know, global term might mean, uh, is watching or creates value around your work, but sometimes it could be meaningful, right, just to be known where you are, right? I mean, has regionalism also sort of developed a sense that there ought to be value to being known among your own community? Yes, there is value in that. I'm not sure what I'm, what you well, want me to I say. Well, I guess I'm like, sort of saying, like, it seems like benchmarks for success would often mean, well, you can make it, and by make it, we mean everybody in the United States knows you, as opposed to making it might mean in a, in a different world, 
you made it where you are and that yeah. should be good enough. I mean, I think everyone has to define their own idea of what success yeah. is. And, and like I mentioned before, for me, success is like actually making a difference and moving the needle on issues that are important to me. And so, sure. um, and one of my projects right now, maybe you're setting me up for this, is hyperlocal. Yeah. Um, I have a project that I'm working on about um, how the climate is changing in South Louisiana and uh, what we're doing to adapt to it, mitigation efforts, uh, and really looking at how a lot of uh, a lot of us, just as residents, I mean, really all of us as residents down here, are experts in climate change and experts in adaptation and mitigation efforts. Um, and that, and I want the audience to be a very broad audience, but in South Louisiana, I would be delighted if other people listen to it. But my goal for this project mm -hmm. is to have a Southern audience. And likewise, I did a podcast for KRVS that that is the error of this this show, um, and uh, and that was again like a it's a hyper local podcast that was for people who are love KRVS yep. or coming to KRVS new whatever but that wasn't for everyone and so I think those both of those projects had different definitions of success so it's always knowing what your personal definition of success is and that can change as you go I never have been like I want to win an Oscar so you know that's not success for me um, so yeah I mean that that, that makes sense I mean Kelly I'm, I'm curious, kind of redirecting a similar question to you I mean I could understand the value of setting your level of success as some sort of impact or maybe an artistic achievement but you know I mean some level art is something you got to have some money to produce. I mean, producing it at a smaller scale for potentially a smaller audience might make that more difficult. I mean, is it changed the way you think about producing your work on the financial side? Not necessarily because you're trying to get rich writing collections of poetry, but because you like to eat, presumably. Well, I mean, poetry in general, if that's what you're doing, I mean, you will make, uh, you know, ones of dollars sure you know what i mean like you just not it's, it's not a lucrative thing unless you're really really big so the uh and writing is you know for so many years i mean i didn't even need a computer i just used a, a notebook and i wrote on buses and mm -hmm. stuff like that so uh, that can be you know really I, I have not experienced really any any uh you know financial uh, drawbacks I mean when we when I needed money for uh, for uh, dancing with Aurora Borealis which was the play I was talking about uh, we uh, my husband and I cleaned out our garage which is a little old brick garage and we got a keg of beer and <laughs> and put a barrier in front and just let people we, we went around gathering China from thrift stores as a donation and we just let people throw it and smash it. <laughs> so for a donation, for a donation, they got to throw plates in my garage and just smash them. And it ended Marvelous. up where people got Sharpies and wrote the names of their enemies on the plates. And it just, it devolved. As the beer went down, yeah. the thing just took off. And, and uh, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable, like little rascal in my way through almost anything. Sure. You know? Yeah. So I mean, visceral crowdfunding is a seems like a really interesting way of doing that. I mean, Rachel, I mean, in the documentary world broadly, right? I mean, I, I, you know, I would presume we're not expecting ticket sales really being like a revenue driver here. They're not often getting big theatrical releases. I mean, I guess I'm sort of curious. First question here would be, in broadly speaking, how is the, that world really financed? Is it primarily grant funding? Is it primarily 
you know, patronage type sponsorships. I mean, the world, it seems like there's really been a, a lot of production in that world lately, or maybe we're just aware of it because of streaming services, but I mean, what does the financial picture actually look like? I mean, what does it take to make a film like that? This is like an hour long answer. Good. And also the film market is in chaos right now and sure. no one knows it's happening because streamers have flipped it upside down. So yeah. I don't really have an answer for that. The films I make, the I mean, documentary is, is mostly grant based yep. um if you pre-sale which means you bought you sell a film before it's finished or maybe before it's had a festival premiere or something it could mean different things um to a major streamer they they right now want to have it early on before you've actually made it so they um it's like their project and then they own it and then you don't actually make any royalties off of it this is part of what happened with the writer's strike so there's a lot there's a lot of um there's a lot of chaos within it that's not really helping but i but i will say that um what's interesting is um my climate podcast i'm working on i'm working um with a uh producer who is top level her credentials are amazing and and our first meeting she asked me how um how i'm funding it because she's curious if i can put the documentary funding model into podcasting because there's no money in podcasting because there's not really money in media or anything anymore but um but it is interesting because i think one of the the opportunities i've had is it is easier to get grants here you know grant writing is something that i'm very good at and comfortable with and so um i've had a lot of luck um getting grants for um that specific project and other projects locally um and getting support that way which is amazing i've gotten one through the aca um, <clears throat> I've gotten one through South Arts, which is with the National Endowment for Arts also. Um, I got one through LIDA, um, an LPG, the Louisiana Project Grant, which is a state grant. So I've gotten a lot of support um, that's regional support, which is something that's amazing. And, and that could, those could also have been funding for a film project, too. There's no, there's no like, differentiation. So. Yeah, and I imagine you have to develop a skill set around researching, applying for, getting your work done. I mean, Kelly, has that happened in your space where, where you've kind of had to develop, um, you know, in addition to being, you, you sharpening your craft, right? Whether as a playwright or as a poet or even a facilitator, like good at finding the money? Yes. I mean, the, the thing about, you know, a writer who is not, um, you know, producing a... Uh, uh, a product right away is that uh, to ask for funding is to basically say I need support so that I can be quiet and do what I have to do and um, you know I have not I have not applied for grants in that way uh, um, that that was the residency type situation but yes I mean you have to you know, you have to write essays to get in you, you have to be very very clear about what you're doing and why and, um, and, you know, it's competitive. It's very competitive. And so, yeah, you do have to get, get good at it. You I do. Mean, how, I mean, has it just been a trial and error thing for you where you apply for 20 grants, you get one, and you're like, well, I think I yes. figured out how to do it. Yeah, I think so, yeah. 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 And then I took, you know, took that skill to help my youngest son, uh, you know, get a free ride to college. So, you know, that's that's... It is a very powerful uh, uh, thing to do because you know the money's flowing out there. Like there, there are people who, very much like you, who are wanting to help people and and um, but just accessing it and knowing 
what language to use, what knowing how to distill your point of view mm -hmm. so that it's so clear and easy. Um, I mean, I, I just finished doing a, uh, a, a job for, for a writer's residency where I was reading the manuscripts and, and moving people on from the first uh, mm -hmm. selection to move up the ladder to actually get, get that. And having read tons and tons of applications, um, the ones that stood out were the ones that, that, that kind of made me remember them. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they just started blending together. So yeah, it's a skill. As a general plug, if anyone is interested in that kind of education, the ACA Anna Kajevnikov, you can reach out to her because they often are looking for people to um, uh, evaluate grants. So it's a great way for people to get experience. So Rachel, you said there's no money in podcasts. I don't know if you know this, you are currently on a podcast. Oh. Right? So, so my, my question though is, is like you talk about, it actually clicked with me when you're like, could the documentary model work for podcasts? But it's odd to me that somebody would ask it as though the answer might be no. Why wouldn't the documentary model work for a podcast? Well, here's the thing. I don't really know what the traditional podcast model is other than generating revenue through ads. Mm -hmm. But uh, for, for a project that you're developing, especially me, I've done one podcast that you know, I'm not established in this space. And so getting people to be like, hey, give me money for a podcast you don't know what it is yet, mm -hmm. um, is harder than me being able to say, here's my credentials for grants. Like, you know, this is why this is something to support. So um, I think I think it's, so I don't, I don't actually know what her model is, <laughs> is the answer. I don't know how she makes money, but I know that, that it's not through grants because sure. that is that is how I have been approaching this and have gotten very fortunate and lucky to have success so far in that to carry it forward. Well, for what it's worth, this podcast makes money through grants, and that would be our producer, Grant Moritz. Uh, <laughs> so a single grant? <laughs> one single grant. Our money, our podcast makes money through grant. Uh, this is always a fascinating conversation. But you, but guys, you guys make money through ads, I assume, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's. So I can't speak to whether it's actually profitable. Yeah, I just yeah. work here. But I mean, but theoretically, yes, th theoretically, that's how it works. Yes. Yeah. And so the idea is like, if I can, for my project, my podcast project, once it's completed and I can go out to people, it doesn't have to be totally completed for me to say, here's an example sure. of what it is. Will yeah. you give me money? Yeah. And I can complete the funding that way. But the early funding is the hard thing to get to, especially in something that doesn't have such an amazing track record, such as your grant. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, I will thank you both, Kelly, Rachel, for having this really fun conversation about, frankly, kind of a difficult subject. I mean, right, like this plays into something that I think a lot of communities go through because we want, you know, vibrant, interesting people to figure out how to make lives wherever they want to. And, and, and look, we're, we're living through tumultuous times in media, whatever your medium might be. So uh, thanks for spending a minute. I have a question. Yeah. Can, we, can we plug what we do for money so local people can hire us? Yeah, all right. You want to go first? Was that not what the purpose of the show was? I don't, I don't understand. feel like we did that many things. Like, okay. it wasn't like... Okay, sure. Yeah. sure. yeah, drop a plug here, Kelly. I do creativity workshops. I, I don't call them writing workshops. Okay. They are they are discovery workshops. Okay. So, uh, for many, many years, I worked for an Italian company called the Architects of Group Genius, where they would hire people like me, uh, artists, DJs, writers, uh, to help corporate people... Uh, figure out problems that they have not been able to solve and they would mix us together 
with activities, writing activities, and uh, play. Mm -hmm. And so I took that model and I traveled all over the world doing that and brought it back to use triggers like music and scent and different things to to pull out of people the unexpected mm. in writing. Well, shoot, we should have you back on just for that. There uh, you go. <laughs> there you go. Good yeah, idea, uh, Rachel. Grant, you can hire me instead of Christian whenever. You can <laughs> you have my finally job. finally get in the final fight. Please. And Rachel, drop a plug here, friend. Uh, I don't really know what else to say, to be honest. This was your, it was I your know, request. <laughs> so I... Um, Obviously, I write grants, and uh, I also teach workshops, yeah. and um, I am very interested in climate, um, the climate changing, and how we can change stories around that. So if anyone's doing work around thinking of positive futures in the climate, just call me, please. Okay. We'll figure out a Christian way to get has your, my number. I will. Yes, yeah, so you can call me, and I'll give you Rachel's number. Just, just <laughs> That comes across way different on radio, let me tell you. Rachel and Kelly, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> thank you for having me. It was Absolutely. a pleasure. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been poet, playwright, and creative workshop facilitator Kelly Clayton, filmmaker and podcaster Rachel Netterveld. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRVS. You can hear our unedited conversation. Find out more about Kelly and Rachel by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe on your podcast app and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Aster Morgan, and you can find more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Chad Terrio. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. Today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Christian Mader, the editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit newsroom. And to get the scoop on Lafayette, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our free newsletters. We'll see you here. We'll see you next time for more business and conversation and Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana was recorded live over lunch at Tsunami Sushi on Jefferson Street in downtown Lafayette. Tsunami is open Tuesday through Saturday for lunch and dinner, serving sushi, sashimi, salads, and authentic Japanese grilled dishes. Tsunami welcomes casual dining or reservations. More information at servingsushi.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.